0: Thank you, J.L. I'm going to invite uh, Jansen if uh, he would come and uh, share with us a little eulogy and uh, reading of any names that have been passed to him. Thank you, Jansen.
1: Our little loves, you will never be forgotten. You are forever engraved into our family. We are forever grateful parents, Siblings, uncles, and aunts, grandparents, and friends. You are so precious in our sight. Whether we ever had the chance or not to gaze upon your face, feel the warmth of your skin, touch your tiny toes, or feel the warmth of your breath upon our faces, all of which were fearfully and wonderfully made by the Creator God. Though our words to describe you are inadequate, the Bible gives us a beautiful beautiful description of your being. You were tenderly knit and woven together with the gentle yet powerful hands of the Creator God and made in the image of God. You taught us to be grateful for each day of our lives. You taught us to value life however small and young it may be. Perhaps you are being used today to teach some soul here to find life eternally through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Your time with us was too short, but the bond of love that formed between us as you grew inside the womb causes us to feel as if you've been a part of our families for a lifetime. It wasn't supposed to go this way, so we may have thought. If we could go back and change something, we would. We had hoped to watch you grow up and spend the rest of our lifetime with you. The corruption that sin has brought upon the world, including the pangs of death, can be painful at times and sure does sting the heart. Yet we would not wish that your innocence of never experiencing the temptations of sin, the hatred of the world, the hardships of life, be replaced by another day on this earth. Jesus loves them, this I know, for in the Bible it tells us so. How we may have wished and prayed that one day we could have had the privilege of introducing our little ones to our Savior, Jesus Christ and shared with them of his personal death and sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. But now we realize that you, our precious little ones, will someday be the one introducing us to the Savior for all of us who have believed in his name. While we on earth may know the Savior by faith, you, our dear ones, know him by sight. How we now should long for that day with joy and anticipation by believing in him. That day when there will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more death. We love you all, our little lights. This afternoon, we recognize one specific name given to us, and that is Little one, James, Robert, but I presume there are names in our heads, little ones that have gone before us, whether given a name or not, are engraved on our hearts, and we take a moment even now to remember them. I ask Pastor Matt to now come and lead us in prayer.
0: Very fitly spoken, Jansen, thank you for sharing with us this afternoon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we mentioned names verbally and those just residing in the quiet and privacy of our own minds. The little ones that were taken from us too soon. Some of the families here, some watching online, some we know who maybe their hearts were too tender to come today, all have a special one in mind, or maybe two or three or four or even five for some who have struggled with those things in their lives. And for some reason, Lord, you have seen fit to allow that to happen. Some have experienced grief upon grief. Others don't know directly what that grief is about. But we can imagine each one what the other is going through. Lord, thank you for that uh, love expressed in those words that Jansen shared with us. May you bind up hearts that are sorrowing this afternoon and have sorrowed in past weeks, months, years, perhaps even decades gone by. Give you thanks, Lord, for being the God of all comfort, comforting us in every tribulation that we might be able to comfort those who, like us, suffer that sorrow. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. In the inside of uh, your program, you'll find a poem entitled Hope, Uh, and this poem was uh, one that we commissioned for Didi to write, since she is a poet, and uh, so she wrote this. Is your soul in sorrow now? No doubt you question why this loving God permitted an unborn child to die. Perhaps you brought the mourning, led by an unwise choice. Still know God offers pardon if you will hear his voice. In every teardrop moment, our God of hope is there. With tender consolation, he hears and answers prayer. Jesus, as your Savior means, a promised peace of heart. The babies wait in heaven where you shall never part, together forever with the Lord. And Dede's trademark, a little heart at the end. I'd like to share with you a message from Scripture this afternoon, but a little bit different, perhaps. Um, for some years, I have had the feeling that we should take some time to remember the little babies who have left this life too early, as we say, It has become somewhat of a tradition in our culture that parents keep the matter to themselves largely, maybe share it with some family members or their pastor. And that's not bad nor wrong. Perhaps parents don't know what to do or feel it would be awkward to say something or might bring bad memories for someone else. And all this is entirely understandable and often appropriate. Although my... Feeling at the same time has been that it does our souls good to come apart for a little while to seek comfort. Comfort from heaven when we face tragedy. Doing so makes a meaningful statement that we care for one another and that we recognize how precious God's gift of life truly is. Your little child, your little child lost too soon, is worthy of every remembrance that we may offer for him. With a name or without a name... With a grave or without a grave, with a birth certificate or without, God created that little light and knows her and all of her days. Others may have had a remembrance service for the little one, say if he or she passed some weeks or months into life because of a congenital condition or SIDS or some terrible illness that struck too early for the little one to fend it off. And it's okay to remember that little one again too, nothing wrong with that. We do gratefully acknowledge before God that tragedy strikes us in this way far less than it did in centuries past, at least in our part of the world. That means that many of us have not experienced the grief of such loss like our ancestors did. I don't know if you've read any in history, but just think of the number of children that some moms lost carrying the child or in birthing the child, or mothers who were lost in giving birth to children and husbands who then were left with no wife, no spouse, no love of their life. Thank God that we have a better situation today, at least in this country. Nevertheless, some of us have experienced the loss of precious young life and are left with a lot of sorrow and a lot of questions. But instead of a traditional sermon or homily, as we call it, I want to As it were, sit beside you, um, and you could imagine the quiet and comfort of your living room, and just sit across maybe the coffee table and talk and answer some questions that you might have about what we're talking about here today. The first one has to do with comfort in the loss of a loved one. How do you find comfort in grief? First of all, I want you to be sure to know this, grief is completely okay, it's completely normal. When it kind of grows outside the bounds of normalcy, though, is when it swallows you up and makes you feel that you cannot go forward or you isolate yourself or you become angry at God, and that's when grief and sorrow needs to be dealt with a little more firmly and with a little bit more Bible, we might say. If we trust in God, He can give us comfort directly through His Word. For example, in Psalm eighteen two, it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Verse 30 of that same psalm says this, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. He can also provide comfort and encouragement not only through the scripture but through the presence and encouragement of other people. This is why one of the things I encourage folks to do who are in a grief-filled situation is don't isolate yourself all the time because it will tend to have a kind of a downward spiraling effect. Get you get yourself with other people and be encouraged with them. God does this not only for our own consolation, but also so that we can help others in their time of need. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that God's the God of all comfort, and He has comforted us in our tribulation so that we may be able to share that same comfort with others. Who knows, but that you in your sorrow over the loss of your dear little loved one may be able to even save somebody else's life by sharing the comfort that you have received from your God. God helps us and his people just at the right time. But, of course, you must entrust yourself to him. He knows what he's doing and why everything has happened the way that it has. He will not necessarily show you why, except that part of the why is that we would trust in him. Paul said we have the sentence of death in ourselves. We had that so that we would learn to trust not in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And this is not just abstract theology. It is what happens when you know God. He knows you, you know Him, you are friends, His comfort is available to you, and you can experience an inexplicable peace in the midst of your great sorrow. But there's also a truth about life. Truth about life, in addition to comfort and death, The truth about life is your little one or the little one you came to remember today for a family or a friend is a true human being. At least God considers them that way, even if some of our friends in the world are unclear about that. God said to Jeremiah later in his life, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Imagine being told this by God when you're an adult. Mr. Adult Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That just blows our mind because we think there was no existence of us before the womb. There, in a sense, there wasn't, but then in a sense, in the mind of God, there was. I knew you then. And for Jeremiah, God specifically arranged two other things as well. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you to be a prophet among the nations. God had personal knowledge of this man prior to his birth. For this one, God had planned out that Jeremiah would be set apart and would have a, as his life calling to be a prophet and one who preaches God's message to others. But just cement that in your mind, that God knows everyone in the womb and they are truly living beings, living humans, from the very moment of their conception, one minute, one hour, one day, one month, and one year after their conception, or 100 years after that moment of time, just as equally human and equally alive. The Bible further tells us in the psalm that we read in Psalm 139 that God has made us. Now, if you ponder that for a moment, you might say, well, how is it that he made us? I mean, does he you know, go to work in his workshop of the... Uh, womb and and start building the the baby in the kind of poetic language that's used here? No, not really. We understand that. But however indirectly he did it through the means of conception and growth, it is still God who is responsible for our construction. I mean, think, think about it. Is it more marvelous if a carpenter comes along and builds, say, this table? Or if thousands of years ago he built a table that could build another little table that would grow into a table that would produce more tables. What kind of carpenter are we talking about here? What kind of a machine, what kind of a marvelous creation has God made that can reproduce itself into the next generation with shared biology between a mother and a father, sharing not only their biology, but their love together, it's amazing. He carefully, so carefully, so wisely designed the first humans in their biology to make sure that that process generally would work. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, The days fashioned for me, whether it was one day or a thousand, God knew them, when as yet there were none of them. So, why then does the process not work every time? Because of the intrusion of sin and death into humanity. Because of that, people generally have departed from God and from His sustaining power, this leads to a degradation that affects our offspring. As relatively innocent as they are, they still are part of our broken race. Somebody illustrated it this way. How, what happens when you uh, pull a, a plant or a tree out of the ground from whence it came? It dies. What happens when you pull a person like Adam and Eve out of the fellowship of the God in, whom's, in whose image they were made? What happens to them then? well, they die just like the tree has become un- unconnected from its source of nourishment in the earth. And so it is for us in the human race. And so, from time to time, something happens because of that disconnection from our life source that even the little ones suffer the fate of passing too early. But Jesus loves the little children. They provide a perfect picture of humble dependence upon God. Think about Luke 18, verse 16, when the Lord said, Let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. They are such a perfect picture of humble dependence until they turn two. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know, the sin nature begins to foment and all of that sort of thing. Even so, even when they're five or six or eight or ten, when they have a problem, to whom do they run in humble dependence? Who do they know will fix every problem that they have? Their father or their mother will fix all of their problems. And so that's why Jesus said, Suffer them to come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. A total dependence, weakness, weakness. And that's what we need in our relationship with God, to be humble and dependent upon Him. When God wrote the laws of government, He provided babies inside their mothers with the same protections that He provided for adults. In just a chapter after the Ten Commandments, the Lord said if a woman with child gets involved in a skirmish with a couple of other fellows, kind of gets in the mix and she is harmed, so the baby comes out, then uh, if the baby lives, fine, maybe a punishment but, uh, or a, a, a monetary penalty, but if the baby dies, then it will be life for life, stripe for stripe, burn for burn, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, because that little one has every value that a full-size adult has. This tells us just how seriously God takes human life and how precious it is to him. Well, your love is well placed if you have a little one that left this life. Even if you did not meet that one yet, God loves that child too, and a whole lot more than you do and I do. So, what about after an infant dies? What then? Many people over the centuries, over the millennia, in fact, have been troubled by this thought and have asked the question, what about original sin and and how do we think about what, what goes on here? I begin by reminding us of the foundational truth that every human being from the very moment of conception is part of our broken race. What God teaches about this is very plain. All have sinned and failed to measure up to God's holy expectations for our thoughts and our conduct. The consequences of our conduct is a very steep penalty. The wages of sin is death. Only God's gracious grant of forgiveness overcomes this penalty. God has wisely chosen to grant his forgiveness to those who have a contrite spirit and trust in him through Jesus. This is because Jesus took the punishment for the crimes that we did. He took the death that our crimes deserved. Most of us, all of us here perhaps, uh, or Most of us have the capacity to trust in Jesus this way and receive the free gift of eternal life. This is such an easy requirement that God has made no other provision. No other provision. There's only one way to eternal life, and that way is easy. It's easy to receive. It's easy to understand in a way, uh, despite you know what we talked about this morning, the truth is simple. It's the acceptance of that truth that doesn't come so easily. God knows that people who refuse that requirement are not truly contrite about their fallen state. And so that's really the kind of the watershed, if you will, the the knife's edge or the fence upon which we are uh, speaking here. But little babies don't have that capacity. This leaves us in a conundrum. Then what about their original sin? Must they be baptized to wash sin away? Well, the answer to that question is an absolute no, resolute no. No. The washing of water does not cleanse anyone from sin. The, the ritual, no matter how you try to construe it, cannot accomplish what the death of Christ accomplished for sinners. Let me put it, may I put it this way? The washing of water cannot accomplish what the washing of blood only can do. Only his work, not any other work, can do the job that is necessary. Now, can such then go to heaven if they die in infancy, these little ones? I believe the answer is yes, based on three truths we gather from the Scriptures. First of all, children, and this is debated, I'm, I'm well aware, but first of all, children are relatively innocent. They are not completely innocent, but relatively so, because they have not had works either good or bad for which they can be accountable. Oh, yes, they are part of our broken race and are imputed the sin of Adam. I understand that. And they have a sin nature because they came from the union of two sinners before them. But they are relatively innocent. Secondly, God is extremely compassionate. Extremely compassionate. He cares especially, for example, for orphans and widows. He looks out for the oppressed. He saves the lowly. He picked Israel, the least of all the peoples of the earth. I believe this applies also to children in their weakest, most vulnerable state. And by the way, inability does not stop God from saving anybody. You know that? We are unable. Just because we're big and smart and wise adults who have a head on our shoulders that doesn't mean we're able to save ourselves or even choose on our own to follow after God. We need God's work and help in us to cause that to be the case. We are all, in effect, unable to rescue ourselves from our plight. So, children are relatively innocent. God is extremely compassionate. And thirdly, the example of King David with his son who died shortly after birth in 1 Samuel. David says that, in that location in 1 Samuel, that he will not be able to bring his son back to him, but he will go to his son. I believe that this refers to the time when David dies, that he will see that son again. If the son were not in heaven, if the son were in hell, let's say plainly, and David is bound for paradise as a believer in God, then he would not see that son again. So since he has that and expresses that trust, and we believe it's true and accurate inspired By by the Spirit of God, if he's going to see his son, his son must be there in paradise. By implication, it is clear to me that he would see his son there in what we call today heaven. And this is where our hope lies. There are many, many infants who die in infancy. Over the course of world history, it's been, well, I don't know, billions perhaps Sometimes parents don't even know that they have conceived the child before the child is not implanted in the womb and begins to grow. These children have eternal spirits just like you and I do. Uh, I mean, the spirit doesn't just pop into the child when they take their first breath. You know, perish that thought, please. (laughs) That very clever ruse of the devil these days to talk about life beginning when the first breath begins. Uh, so I guess life ends when the, when the last breath is taken, even if the person is on the vent machine and they're going to come off the vent machine in a couple days. No, it's, a, it's an untenable position. Uh, just because the little one is connected to a um, oh you know, a lifeline that supplies all of its oxygen, all of its nutrients, all of the things that it needs to live, and it doesn't have to breathe... You know, we're, we're actually kind of hampered because we have to breathe to live. <laughs> Little babies don't have to, do they? Well, it's reasonable, though admittedly not universally believe, that God saves infants who die in infancy before they are consciously able to choose for or against God in their relative innocence in God's extreme compassion and with the example of David and his boy in First Samuel. This is what I have believed based on the Bible ever since I looked into the question. But lest anyone criticize this view by saying that the loss of infant life is the best way to populate heaven, I'd first say uh, check your arrogance, please, and have a little more compassion on those who have lost little ones. But I would strongly disagree in another way. It it is a way in this sin-cursed earth that infants go to heaven But the best scenario would be for them to live a long life, to respond in faith to God, to serve God with all of their days, and then to die at a ripe old age. I'm not saying this to question God's wisdom in a particular case of a young one going too early. Because even God himself speaks about the blessing of longevity in Isaiah, in the latter portion of that prophecy in the future kingdom, when it says a child shall die 100 years old. Evidently, from what we can glean from that text of Scripture and the surrounding area, there will be people who live to a great age, hundreds and hundreds of years. It doesn't happen that way in our era, but it shall be that way in the future. And so a long life is really the ideal for which we hope and pray. But about that hope, my final segment here of the message. We've talked about uh, life and death and what about infants who die in infancy, but what about hope for us? Hope for us. If we believe what God says in the Bible, and I hope you're saying in your heart right now, and we do, and we do, those souls who die in infancy and those who first to reach the age of accountability and trust in Christ will be together in heaven whether an infant dies 3 days after conception or 3 months after conception or 9 months after or 13 years after if the little one who was unable is in heaven and the one who acknowledges Jesus Christ and trust, they will together be in that glorious place. Our hope for the far future has to rest in God, whether it's for our little lights or for ourselves. Again, we believe Scripture about this. For, for one, because we have no more credible source that knows about the matters of life and death and what happens afterward. We have no better source than God who is responsible for the contents of the Bible. You know, we don't believe the scriptures because of blind faith or because we grew up that way or because it works out for us, you know, the kind of pragmatic argument or because our family has always been that way. Rather, we believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents. It's not myth, legend, fairy tales, and so on. These documents are written down by eyewitnesses corroborated by other eyewitnesses who report to us supernatural events they eyewitnessed that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecy. This is why we believe the Scripture. Furthermore, we believe the Scripture because they claim that their writings are of divine origin and not human. And when God implants the Spirit of God within us and that ministry of his abiding begins, he causes us to embrace that truth that the Bible is true. Among those amazing events that the scripture records is that one Jesus Ben Joseph of Nazareth made a credible claim to messianic authority. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, he raised the dead, he had a teaching ministry where he visited many cities telling them of the coming kingdom of heaven and he said whoever believes in him would have remission of sins That remission was created for us, for his people, when he was killed on the cross, and then three days later raised from the dead. On that basis, then, I can offer you the promise of eternal life and that certainty of forgiveness for for your sins. I took God up on that offer many years ago myself, and I am beyond glad that I have assurance, confidence, peace, a cleansed conscience, I'm bound for heaven Not because of me, but because of what Jesus did. Thus, I have confidence that I shall see with my own eyes the little lights that have preceded us to that glorious place. And you can too. Imagine meeting them all. Imagine meeting the one. The one that you're thinking of right now, your special little light. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the hope that you have given us in Christ, for the scriptures that bear upon this particular subject, as difficult as it is. Oh, our God in heaven. Thank you for the truth about death and life and what happens to infants after they pass, best I can tell, and about our hope that is laid up for us in heaven, that hope that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Naomi, if she will come. and I think J.L. is going to assist her as well with a special music for us, and I trust this will be a blessing to your soul.
2: So be still and do not fear, though winds of change may reach tomorrow. God is at your side, no longer dread the fires of unexpected sorrow. Still, my soul, be still. Do not be moved by lesser lights and fleeting shadows. Hold onto His ways with shield of faith against temptation's flaming arrows. God. shaken Lord of peace renewed truth you learned in the beginning wait upon the lord and hope will rise as stars appear when day is dimming.
0: Thank you, Naomi. This brings us to the conclusion of our memorial service today with just uh, a little prayer uh, yet and a moment of silence to remember all those who have left us too soon. May God grant, my friends, that you would experience his peace in these thoughts that are swirling in your mind and trust that this will be a great encouragement to you. Join me, please, as we have a moment of silence and prayer to close. Then we'll invite you to share some refreshments if you'd like to stay to do that for a few moments. The somberness, O God, of this service marks our understanding that every precious life of the ones and tens and hundreds and thousands and millions and even billions of special people created in the image of God that these ones are critically important That they are ones upon whom you have specially put your smile. And they are worthy of a few moments of reflection and remembrance. God, as I mentioned just a moment ago, may you give peace to your people. And, Lord, perhaps this is an opportunity for someone to say, I am not 100% sure that I'm on my way to that place called paradise in which my little one has been safely put on deposit for that great future day of reunion with God's people. Should that be the case, Lord, help them to recognize Trusting in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed. Living, walking, loving Him. Transform some dear soul today to have that confidence like I do and like many of those here today do as well. Watch over us, Lord, we pray, as we part from this place. May your grace and blessing be our portion through Jesus Christ the Lord of all. Amen.